So again, Father, just bless the word to our hearts, the word that Christ is, is our life. And let, this, let the sentence that comes out of my mouth proceed, Father, from your very presence in Psalm 17 and verse 2, when we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Galatians. If you want to look at where we get to Galatians, the third chapter, we need to start. That you go all the way back from the first chapter to where we're going to get into chapter 3 and verse 1. This is Galatians. Now, in those first two chapters, please, to understand this, okay, to understand this, this word that God is giving to us, this counsel from his word, in your privacy, it would do you very well and do me very well, again, as I rehearse it, uh, to read those first two chapters. But look at Galatians 2 and verse 16. Listen to what it says. Knowing that a man... Do you know what the original says about that? Again, I thank God for these translations, the King James translations, okay? And translations are not perfect in themselves because he used man who's going to fail, but thank God he's given us enough. But this is what it says. Knowing that a man... Listen... Not any man at all, the original says, Christian or otherwise, is not cleared of all guilt and condemnation. That's justification. You know, when you say to a Christian, are you a born-again Christian, you know what you could say to them just as easily? Are you one of the ones that are guilt-free? Because that's who we are in Christ. Everything he's going to give us this morning is based upon the fact that we're guilt-free because there's no condemnation because Christ has removed all that distance between us and God, and he did it in a, in a scripture that we'll read after this. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. And that means even interpreting these Pauline epistles and the synoptics in the book of John is not by the works of the law. Listen, the only time the flesh can operate is under some form of law. And if you're a Christian, the only form it can be, if it's not some form of cultic, some cultic form, is the flesh. The Bible makes it clear. It's not justified by the works of the law, but separation, contrast, and conjunction by the faith, absolute dependence of Jesus Christ, of is constituted of the exact same substance. Of Jesus Christ, even we, those that are in him, have believed in our position, Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, listen what it says, no flesh, saved or unsaved, no flesh will be cleared of all guilt and condemnation. But if, we, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we... Christians, ourselves are found to be sinners, functioning in the flesh. Is therefore Christ the minister of that? No, God forbid. Not at all. Not at all. God wants to get sense into our head of what true, godly, Christian fellowship is. It's all about Jesus Christ. No flesh can enter therein and have a proper experience. He's teaching me that with convictions. And we're going to see it this morning. It's not what I say or declare that teaches others. It's how I live my life. It's my conduct. And 1 John 1, 7 is teaching it very clearly. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship. Notice that. 
That is not teaching, listen folks, it's not teaching conduct. It's teaching character. And teaching me is this. How I behave isn't my true character. If it is, I have fellowship. Okay? And then I experience that continual cleansing of the blood. You know, it's an eternal cleansing. Did you know that? That's what 1 John 1 verse 7 is bringing out. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's why in Revelation 5 and verse 6, he's the lamb, and when you see him, it's just like he's freshly slain. It's continual. It's a continual, continual. Once, yes, cleansing, but an experiential cleansing by the water of the word in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Now, for if I build again in Galatians 2, 18, listen, again, things which I destroyed. How were they destroyed? Who destroyed them? Christ did, didn't he? Did he not? But if I do them again, I make myself a transgressor. Is there any fellowship there? No. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. Read it. Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans, the seventh chapter. Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Galatians, the first, the whole first chapter in those 10, those very 10 verses, all the way up to the 15th for us and beyond. Read them. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto who? God. How do I do that? Through Christ. Tell me, is there any flesh involved in that? There isn't any. There's none. Boy, we have freedom. We have freedom. And I want to be free in myself and not interfere with Christ coming towards you and you coming towards me and having a deep, rich fellowship that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live. Folks, this is Christianity. This is the fellowship explained in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, so that we can experience the fourth verse. Listen to what it says. Yet not I, the old I. Got it? And that's what God said to me. That's why I said it. Honestly, did you get that? <laughs> yes, Lord. Yep, I'm not excluding no way. No. Oh, I don't want that. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. What would my conversation be if he came in person and he didn't leave me for 24 hours? What would my conduct and my behavior be? Mine. I'm talking to me personally. Whew. Beautiful conviction. Not yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in this body, I live by the absolute dependence in him alone of the Son of God. Oh, he loves me. And he's constantly giving himself for me. Oh, how if you think you and I have a desire for fellowship with him, oh, what must this be? Who loved me and gave himself to me, and still wants to do so. 
on an intimate, deep, and continuous basis. I do not frustrate, make of no value, make it dead. The grace of God. Who is the grace of God? But Christ is it not, in John 1, verse 14. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ died for nothing. He died in vain. All else is vain outside of Christ. That's what it's telling me. Now, before we get to verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, the reality of this is this. This is Galatians 6 and verse 14. You can read it, 6 all the way down. Oh, boy, thank God for the Bibles we have, don't you? Oh, you know, you know, and by His grace, you know, I, I have a, a lot of different Bibles and versions, but oh, my God, if I only had one, I would so treasure it. The precious Word of God. It breaks my heart when I think of this. A woman, this is just within the year, a woman in China, they found her smuggling in a piece of the scriptures. And she was an older woman. And they had her tied to a chair and they were beating her, an older woman. And here we have this. Here we have this precious word of God. What are we doing with it? What am I doing with it? Galatians 6 and verse 14, God does forbid that I, that's the I that I no longer am, Galatians 2.20, yet not I. God forbids that I should glory. Where would you and I in Christ's glory? Some form of the flesh. Yes, listen, I want to hear all about the increase in John 3.30, but don't you dare touch that decrease. Well, how else are you going to experience properly Christ if that decrease is not dealt with? And he does it through the word. But God forbids that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, Christians, those in Christ, listen. By whom the world is crucified unto me. Look at where the world system started. I am telling you, it started in Galatians, the fourth chapter. Cain murdered his brother, 4 and verse 8, and he said, am I my brother's keeper? That can be just like a Christian in the flesh. <laughs> my, my brother's keeper. Of course, that guy was completely unsaved, by the way. Let's make that clear. He went out after he murdered him. Still, the scriptures bring it up. He was still, God was pleading with him before he went out. Like he pleads with us. When we don't go into fellowship, he pleads with us through his word. Out we go. Only one place we can go. Only one place fits our flesh. That's the world. That evil, satanic world system that was built upon the hatred and murder of a man who brought an innocent victim which pointed to Jesus Christ. Now you will look at it and I will read it. Listen, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Christians. He crucified the whole world system to you. This is not our place. Our place is in Christ. Was Jesus Christ accepted in this world system? Was he? Never. Never. Was the Apostle Paul, our heavenly apostle, was he accepted? Oh, he was accepted. 
by the religious crowd as long as they functioned in the rejection of Christ under the energy and power of the enemy, Satan. But the minute he, when he was their guy, the second he chose Christ, boom, he was their worst enemy and he was hated. They wanted to kill him just like they killed Christ. Do you know what that enemy wants to do to you and I when we get together? In, in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He cannot touch opposition in Christ. Sin doesn't even do that. But he goes after our experience, and that separates us. Any area of the flesh from Christ it just does. What are we doing here? Why did God call us here? Why? By whom the whole world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. I'm going to stop, pause, and this is again, and I am literally, for whosoever will may come in this local assembly where God's called us. But let me say this, and let me make it very, very, very clear, and we're going to go into these things in depth. And I can only do it as I humble myself and the Holy Spirit will take those things of Christ through his absolute grace, make the adjustment for me that I can't do apart from him, out of the flesh into a proper experience in Christ. This is Galatians chapter 4. Verse 8, And Cain taught with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field, you read Matthew, the 13th chapter, the field always speaks of in type the world system. We are in this, folks, Christians, men that are in Christ, women that are in Christ. We are in this world system in John 17, verse 16, but we are not of it. Neither was Jesus Christ in John 17 and verse 14. They were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him, murdered him. Who was the first human murderer in the scriptures? Cain. Who was the first murderer long before him? The designer of the world system in John 8, verse 44. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. And now you're cursed above the earth, which has opened her mouth to receive your brother's, your brother's blood by your hand. And when you till the ground, it will not henceforth, henceforth yield unto you her strength. Christians, you try and go into the world and see if you can get something out of it. You think your grace and your strength is going to be found there in any truth at all? In any, any part of it, you will be a fugitive and a vagabond, a wanderer, lost in, listen, lost in the world system. Can Christians be lost? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 used to teach it that salvation. It's far more than that. If our gospel be what? Hidden. It is hid to them that are lost. How? In whom the God of this world, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world, it's a religious God of the world. And it's teaching you and I something. It is. It's communicating with a voice. 
with a word, with a force, with word, with conversation, with music. You don't believe me? I'll leave it to these other guys. And they can be the target. Well, when you till the ground, it won't, it won't give you any strength. And it always speaks of grace, by the way. It's something that came from God. A fugitive and a vagabond you'll be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me out this day from the face of the earth. Did he? Did God drive him out? Did he? You read it. You read it. Read it with me. Read it with me. Genesis chapter 4. Okay? But, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. You look that up in the original. And his countenance fell. <laughs> oh, there was a nonverbal communication going on with him. The flesh, the intense enmity and hatred in Romans 8, 7. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? What are you so angry about? What are you so angry about? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't you be accepted? I've accepted you, but this is the only way I can. He refused it. And if, you, and if you do not well, sin lies at the door. Read that in the original Hebrew, study it out. He's saying, I'm still offering this to you now. It's not too late. It's yours. Take it. It's the word today, Christians. Take it. Don't fight it. Don't think in 1 Samuel 15, 22 that, that your obedience can, can be fulfilled by you giving a sacrifice, skipping areas of obedience in your life, which just amounts to nothing more than stubbornness and rebellion in 15, 23 of 1 Samuel. Well, and from your face will I be hid. Who hid whose face? <laughs> oh, God. And I will be a fugitive and a vagabond through choice in the earth, and it will come to pass that everyone that finds me will slay me. So, oh, God. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoever slays Cain, vengeance will be on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain. I wonder what that mark was. You think it was a physical mark? I say it was an appearance. I say it was an absolute fallen appearance and a very false, bad, evil image. How he would look at himself and how he would look at everyone else. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Who? Cain. And dwelt in the land of Nod. Nod. Look it up. Wanderer. Wanderlust. I'm not fulfilled. I'm not fulfilled as a Christian. So now, when I don't know the truth about who I am in Christ, and I don't have proper fellowship, something has to fill the void, and I'm going to wander. Folks, hopefully, and I'm going to say this hasn't changed, and I base it on 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, read those 28 verses. Ephesians chapter 4, read those verses all the way through to the 32nd verse, local assembly. Local assembly. That's right. Local assembly. And even an evangelist in Ephesians 4.11 
has to have a local assembly to function properly. Because his gift is beautifully, and believe me, beautifully given the gospel, which is incredible. But he still needs to be taught because he may not and, and mostly does not have the gift of the pastor teacher. And what good is the gift even if the man has it if he's not submitted to Christ? Flesh takes over. Did you know it's what we say and how we live our lives around each other that teaches us far more than a declarative statement about what we so, so-called believe? It's very, hey, very convicting to me. Very convicting to me. He went out from the presence of the Lord in Genesis 4.16 and settled down wandering on the east of Eden. He is living outside of resurrection life. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived, and he bare Enoch. Oh, God, study that out. See where Enoch, whose grandfather he is of Amalek. Watch it all the way through. And he built a what? What did he build? A city. World system, folks, has nothing to do with the presence of God. Listen. Built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusael. <laughs> like how all their names end in L, some form of God, without the substance, by the way. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, 5, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Could there be a believer? Could it be? Not positionally. But experientially, experientially in the flesh, absolutely. Listen, this is what he did. He had all these. And Methusael begot Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives. Isn't that interesting? Polygamy. Do you know any that teach certain ways about polygamy? you know any certain cults? You know, what we think a cult is is very interesting, you know. Do you think... That when you and I function in the flesh, and when we do, we're under the prince and power of the air, not positionally, but experientially, we don't have cultic tendencies? You don't think so? Whew. I'm going to talk about, whew. oh, no wonder Jesus said, no wonder he said this. This is what he said. I'm going to read what he said. See? Look at what Jesus said. And how vital this is, why we have a local assembly, why we're called here. He's training us and preparing us for eternity. There's no question about it, for an intimate fellowship with him. Get into it another time, another thought. This is what Jesus said in John 12 and 13, and on and on it goes. Now, in 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world, this world system. Now will the prince of this world be cast out, and I, folks, if I be lifted up, where? From the earth. I will draw all men unto me. What is it that draws men to me? What is it that in men draws me to them? Is it Christ? Or is it the flesh? Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. And if I be lifted up, then he said, signifying what death he should die. The, this, that's what he said. The people answered, and we've heard all about these things. 
We've heard about that, the law that Christ abides forever, and how, you, how say you, the Son of Man, must be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? How many Christians know? What's the difference between the Son of God and the Son of Man? Is there a difference? But they're two in one, yes. Then Jesus said unto them, folks, all of us here, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk under the submission and guidance of that light while you have it, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not where he goes. 36, while you have that light, believe in the light, receive, submit to that light, instant obedience, that you may be the children of that light. These things spoke Jesus and departed. Listen to what he did. And he hid themselves from them. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? When Jesus went into a city and taught things about himself and people refused him, what did he do? He shook the what off of his feet. Paul did the same thing in, in the book of Acts, and you will see those things. Now here, as we begin to wrap this up, and then, and then we have... In 419 of Genesis, Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Adah. The name of the other was Zillah. Adah bared Jabel. These names are very expressive, folks. Don't have the time to get into the strict meaning of them. Words have meaning. They are teaching. Force, power, and energy. He was the father of such as dwell in tents. And of such have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and the organ. And now where is this? Where are they having all of this? Did God create people to have gifts in music? What were they designed for? What was Satan before he fell? He was Lucifer. What did he leave, lead, as you study Ezekiel, the 28th chapter, did he and did God form in him Beautiful music as he submitted and reflected his creator, Christ. Did he lead the angelic worship? Do you know anything about music? Does he? He does. Almost assuredly. Most assuredly does. He's an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. He has his ministers. I want to tell you this, guys. I don't want to be one of his. I do not want to be one of his in our relationships. Honestly, I don't. And I say that in all humility and brokenness. I do not want that. I don't want it for me. And if I don't, I don't want it for you. And Zilla, she also bore Tubalcane, an inst instructor of every artificer in brass and iron, and the sister of Tubalcane was Naama. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zilla, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, hearken unto my speech, for I've slain a man. Where did he get that from? Who's the murderer from the beginning? Who is Cain? Who is Cain? Who is this here? Was Cain his daddy? <laughs> Do you think anything in our flesh wants anything to do with Christ? No, even the flesh that's in us, in Romans 8, 9, that we're not of, it's strong, settled, unchangeable, 
feelings in Romans 8, 7 of hatred towards God. Oh boy, that's what the Bible says. Listen to it. For I've slain a, a, a man to my wounding. Oh, he cared about killing him, didn't he? No, it was only to his wounding. And a young man to my hurt. What did he think of life? What does a murderer think of life? And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said she, said she has appointed me another instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And look what happened. And to Seth and to him also there was born a son. And, his, and he called his name Enos. You ought to study these names because they're chock full of meaning. Then began man to call upon the name. And name speaks of nature, essence, and character. To call upon the name of the Lord. I don't have the time to get into it this morning, but throughout the week we will. Now, I'm going to quote... Okay, I'm going to quote some men here. Before we even get into Galatians 3, then I'm going to stop, and it's going to continue this week. And I'm telling you, honestly, we are going to get into Galatians 3, verse 1, bewitched, what it means to be bewitched. Can a Christian be bewitched? Can a Christian be fascinated or drawn away by certain things? Absolutely. There is no question about it. Friends, we are not of this world. God put a difference in Exodus eleven seven between Egypt, type of the world system, and Israel, those that were his. I don't know. Who's on the Lord's side? First Kings 18, 21. Who's on the Lord's side? All right, you're not, and you are. There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a vast difference between the flesh that's in us, but folks, that we are not. Of our whole constitution in this eternal life that we have in 1 John 5 11 is of constituted who Christ is. We don't have time to get into, into it, but I'm, just, I'm going to. And then the two seeds, two seeds of two women and two heads. They're functioning under one will, one force, one function. And a power. No question about it. We're going to stop this. And again, I am telling you, the, this was what God used to teach me, to tell me, me personally. And I'm basing it by the grace of God upon the word of God. This is Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. He uses the type of Tyrus or Terrus. The right way is Tyrus, as far as everyone I've ever known that knows a lot more about the original than I ever did. <laughs> but thank God for them. This is 28 verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation. Notice, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus says the Lord God, You seal up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. I don't know, is that Christ? Isn't that Christ? You have been in the garden, in Eden, the garden of God. This is the earth prior to its chaotic disruption in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Every precious stone was your covering. These are revealing the reflection of the attributes of God from God's nature that he submitted to and reflected. 
The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, gold. The workmanship of your tablets and of your pipes was created in you the day you were created. He was worshiping and worshiping and singing to Christ, his creator. Brings it out crystal clear. You are the anointed cherub that covers, and I set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire, holiness, the purity. You were perfect. You were complete in all your ways of obedience to the word that you received from your creator who was the pre-incarnate Christ, based upon John 1, 3 and Colossians 1. In verse 16, you were perfect, complete in all your ways from the day that you were created. Tell iniquity, your will, no longer God's will, was found in you. By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence, and you have sinned. Therefore, I'll cast you as profane out of the mountain of God. I don't know, what did God do? What, what did Cain do? Who led Cain? Oh, and I will destroy you, O covering cherub. Is he still in some form a covering cherub? What will he cover us with then if it's not true light? Darkness, ignorance, rebellion, stubbornness, fleshly works for the Christian. And this is what happens. O O covering cherub, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. I will cast you to the ground. He's answering every one of the five I wills of Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. Now, these are God's five I wills. He's got an answer for everything. The only answer. I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. Angel of light teaching us, teaching Christians what's okay and what isn't, what's being taught here in this local assembly that God's called you to. Please, let's all listen. If anything else comes against it, well, that'll be between you and the Lord. I will, uh, I will cast you to the ground. I'll lay you before kings and that they may behold you, that you have defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your traffic, therefore I will bring forth a fire from the midst of you, it will devour you, and I'll bring you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold you. All that know you among the people will be astonished at you. If you want to know the astonishment, read Isaiah the 14th chapter. You will be a terror, and never will you be anymore. Now I'm going to read this. I don't usually do this, if, if, if someone said to me, well, where do you get all of this stuff? I mean, you, you, I can take it up there and show you. I don't know. I mean, that's all I could do. And then I would say to you, if you disagree with me, show me where you get what you get. This is Larson's new book of cults. This is Don Larson. He published this in 1982. He's a guy out of Denver, Colorado. That's when I bought this. That's when it was introduced in 1982. We were still at that particular time, Bible Speaks. I want to read this to you, okay? Okay, I'm not quoting me. I'm going to quote you this man here, okay? Cults. What is a cult? 
It's, it's a cult, right, that usually displays sincere expressions of a humble desire to better society <laughs> and still follow God's will. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. That may, that's their opinions. Read what opinion is. And it's what God considers to be opinion of a man apart from Christ. In Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. Read it in the Amplified. It'll help you with the Hebrew. Right? Now, who does he go after? Who do the cults go after? Who does the enemy go after? Do you think he would go after a Christian in any possible way that he could beyond even what we're aware of? Do you think so? Okay. He goes after those that function in the society or Christians that will function in the world that are biblically illiterate and become, the, become the, those that are deceived of a cult. A cult. Let me ask you this. Come on. Is my flesh of God, is it? Is yours? It's in us, but are we of it? No. It can, it, does it have cultic tendencies? Does it? Is there any good in it? In Romans 7, 18, John 6, 63, none. Now, loneliness, folks, listen to me. Loneliness. You wouldn't believe what people do to try and escape their certain circumstances. Just like Cain. He just became a wanderer. Just wandering. Folks, thank God that we have a local assembly. We don't have to wander. Listen to me. Listen to the word. Loneliness. Indecision. Despair, disappointment are the emotional characteristics cult recruiters notice. Do you think the enemy could come against us in that way? Huh? Hmm. Well, here, blame him. I gave his name. I'm almost done. They offer... Just like, you know, a lot of Christian psychology, by the way, they mix psycho, the, you know, psycho, suke, the flesh, with the word. That's where we get that word. <laughs> Isn't it weird? They offer instant solutions. Three steps, four steps, five steps, 12 steps. The Texas two-step. Like that's going to give you some pleasure and enjoyment. Wow. Interesting. Instant solutions to overwhelming problems. Few potential cultists bother to inquire about who is extending the offer, what is behind it, and what functions will take place. Okay? No wonder it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep, guard your heart, your mind with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Okay? Proverbs 23.7, right? Read what Proverbs 23, verse 7 says. So they're called. So cults generally attract pro prospects with an outpouring of attention and affection. Mm. Now, that wouldn't happen in Christian circles, right? You think so? Let me pull you away, local assembly, because I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you attention and affection. Hmm, okay. I don't know. That doesn't sound right to me. Okay. Attention and affection. Feeling, emotions, not doctrine, is the lore. This feels good. Let's do it. I can't stand my circumstance and situation. 
okay? So what am I going to do? I'm going to go find something in the world and escape it and get away and feel good. <laughs> Read Job, the 28th chapter. I'm going to go to the ocean to escape. That's right. And you know what the ocean will speak to you as the creator in Psalm 19, 1 through 8? It's not in me. What you're looking for is not in me. You're in Christ, positionally, but you're trying to experience something apart from him. And it's usually what it is, is the world. Something of the world. Almost done. Almost done. The belief structure is seldom mentioned in the beginning, but they bring in a world view. This false approval, this false acceptance, this false, this false belonging, and false authority are those things that others will tell you that they can supply. Because you're missing something. And certain things are okay. Certain things are okay. That's okay. Listen, no, you may have heard the word. You may, but you know, no, no, I disagree. It's okay. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Hmm. Critical thinking is discouraged. And corporate identification is done away with. Mm-hmm. Almost done. Hang in there. Then, then they can use the guilt feelings of forsaking God's calling, because this isn't your calling. Of course, local assembly isn't, right? You're not taught in a local assembly. You know where you're going to be taught? In the world. Watch. Guilt feelings of forsaking God's calling, falling into Satan's hand, or even worse, risking the wrath and judgment of God. <laughs> what are the results of those that function in the cultic flesh. Because I'm telling you, folks, that's what my flesh is in me outside of Christ. It's cultic. And you know, this is what happens. Neurosis. Psychosis. Emotions. Neurosis. Psychosis. Mind. Right? Suicidal tendencies. Right? I mean, Elijah, he had that tendency. Right? He did. He wanted to die. Suicidal tendencies. Why? Was he functioning in obedience to the word and trusting God? No. Suicidal tendencies, guilt, identity, confusion, paranoia, hallucinations, loss of free will, intellectual sterility, sterility diminished capacity of discernment or judgment. Yeah, blame Don, Don Larson. Now, get it, read it. It's very interesting. You can get it online if you'd like. The basic fault of cults is that they demote God. We wouldn't do that in the flesh, would we? And encourage each other. Demote God, devalue Christ, deify man, deny sin, and denigrate Scripture. But correct theology has to do with the attributes of God, the person of Christ, the nature of man, (laughs) the requirements of the atonement, or better, reconciliation, the source of revelation. I'm going to stop when I read this. Read what Revelation is. He gives a pretty basic definition of that through the Word of God. A lot of foundational truths in here. Okay? (laughs) Uh, Whatever that particular cult is, Satan is the source of all antichrist systems. Is my flesh antichrist? Well, you know how those one naturists, they do away with it. That solves it. Now it's blaming Satan. It didn't start in the garden, did it? Genesis 3rd chapter. 
The source of all anti-Christian systems is the Christian's real enemy. Folks, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood in our relationships. He can enter in to make it that, but it's not. Ephesians 6, 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 6. The real enemy. Those who expound erroneous doctrines may be sincere. Show me sincere in the Bible one place. But misguided individuals. Now, I'm going to stop, but look at this. Oh, boy, this is, is just unbelievable. Oh, Lord. Unbelievable. And you can read it further. You can read it further. Okay? And I can tell you. Look, I can tell you. And, and I'm going to tell you, is God is my judge by personal experience. Very personal experience. There was a man, and I even asked him if I could use his name, so I won't mention him. Okay? I, I was sent by Pastor Stevens in 1977 to pioneer the work in Baltimore, Maryland. This man came, he was from Ireland, and he became, at that time, what we would refer to as my song leader. He took me into a, a record shop. There were still records back then, folks. <laughs> took me into a record shop and showed me certain groups that I will not mention by name on this tape, but will privately. And his, his name appeared and the music that he played. And this is what he told me. This is what he told me. That before we went on stage with that music, we sacrificed animals and worshipped Satan. That's what he told me. Born again Christian now. Of names, groups, the most popular groups at that time. Mr. Larson mentions the Beatles. You know of a group more popular? You know what's the basis of all their music? You ever studied it? Hinduism. Oh, that's right. Hinduism. Ah, oh, it's just music. Don't mean anything. You want to make a bet? You want to make a bet? I don't know. Read, read it. Get his book and read it. Huh. The Beatles. All we need is love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, folks, listen to me. This is the truth, and I mean it too. We have nothing to do with that. That was part of what I wanted to repent and confess, because I've done that a lot, and I hate it. I don't have to, and you don't have to. Make, make allowances and say, I don't want to appear as a hyper-Christian hyper by functioning in Christ, so maybe I'll function like the flesh, so you won't think I'm more important. That's nonsense. And the enemies accused that, me of that for years, and that is over in my, in my relationships with you men. By the grace of God. Now listen, have I failed in these things? I openly confess I have. And forgive me. I, I have. And even in my failure of teaching the basic cardinal foundational truths of the Bible. I'm still to teach them, but did I still fail? But should I stop teaching them? No. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 make it crystal clear. Crystal clear. 
I have also up there, if someone wants to know where I got my information from scientifically, I have it in, up there, ready to go into a booklet like that. And it's about this thick of pages of science proving it's not just the lyrics, although they're just as evil. It's biorhythms, and they work together, folks. They are teaching and communicating a message, and none of it is any good. And I'm telling you as a guy who failed, who a guy who went to every major concert, front row seats, about what was going on, was intense. It's communicating something. Folks, it is. It is. It's got nothing to do with who we are in Christ. Again, please, if you, please, you won't believe that Galatians 3 verse 1, who's bewitched you? Christians he's talking to. Who has cast a spell over you? Who's fascinated you? Oh, it's harmless. You want to make a bet? Not according to this man. Not according to scientists. That's fellowship? Really? It's not. Boy, totally convicting. I love everybody here. I thank God for our Statue of Liberty, freedom, that cuts out the world. And listen to me, everything about it, every single thing about it, it has nothing to do with Christ. Oh, you, you'll hear it. And you'll see how the world and music has even infiltrated the church. That's why I love when you sing. I mean it, too. I'm not, I'm, honestly. I do. I love it. And Mary, too. It's incredible. Because it's pure worship. Pure worship. Based upon the Word. He loves us so much. He's jealous over us. Isn't he? Amen? Father, thank you this morning for the freedom we have based upon the cross that's crucified the world unto me personally and then I unto the world. We seem to think that the cross crucified the old me, but not the world system. Oh, Lord, thank you. And I do thank you for godly, godly, Christ-like worship, like some of these old hymns that are not around anymore. Father, thank you. And thank you for your purity. Thank you, Father, that we're not our failure. Thank, I'm thankful I'm not my failure. And that's my confession. And I'm not my sin. And I'm not my judge. But I can live in conviction and judge that flesh and live in the reality of a proper discernment and a proper image. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.